Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. There we are. Well, everyone, good morning. My name is Josh, and I'm so excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you didn't know, I'm the children's director here, and so when normally I, uh, when I speak in front of a group of people, their listening skills are far different than yours. Uh, normally what I have to remind them of are things such as, hey, don't lay on the floor, or hey, keep your hands to yourself, or hey, don't just shout things out, raise your hand when you have something to say. Hopefully we don't have any of those issues with you all this morning, but I have high hopes and belief in all of you. Uh, But with that, we also uh, tend to start off with with teaching kids by asking questions uh, to get their their minds engaged and to get their minds turning about what we're talking about. So I wanted to start off by asking you all a question. And that question is very simple. And it it is, what do you live for? I want to start off by asking this question because I think that this is really important for us to ask of ourselves. So often we just kind of go through the motions. We go through the days, we go through the weeks, we go through the months. Sometimes we even just go through the years. And we don't stop to ask, wait, what am I doing? What am I actually living for? I also think that this question really ties into what we have been talking about all summer. We are in the midst of a series uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes uh, called Chasing the Wind. Uh, And this book is often thought of as being pretty depressing. Over and over again, the author says that all is meaningless, nothing matters, it's all pointless. And if you have been here over the last few weeks, you've probably heard the author talk about this idea that life is short and temporary. That generations come and go and all fades away. And he's seeking to find out how we should live with the short time that we have. And that is why I ask this question, what do you live for? For me, asking this question has been pretty difficult. Over the last couple of months, something I've struggled with is contentment. I attach my worth and my value pretty easily to success and to all the things that I do. And I want to do a lot of things in life. I've taught before I want to do ministry. I want to be in the business world. I want to be in journalism. I want to be in music. I want to be in the sports industry. There's tons of things I want to do. But the reason for my want is often because I just want to be good enough. Because the reality is that life being temporary makes me really anxious. Anxious to be somebody, to strive, to achieve, to use the time that I have. And no matter where I'm at, I often feel like that I could be doing more. This always takes me out of the present and then I become complacent where I don't enjoy life and the goodness all around me. To be honest, there have been multiple times over my life uh, and in the past few months where I have said, what am I doing with my life? What does God want me to do? What do I live for? I struggle because I think that I can determine the course of my life. If I just do more, work harder, succeed more, that it's all within my control and when I fail, I blame myself because it must be my fault. I control my own destiny, right? So I work for control, I strive for control, where if I have enough control, then maybe I can use my time to matter. I want to say that I live for God, but often what I live for is control, acceptance, and success. 
And I think that if we're honest, we can all relate to this, whether we follow Jesus or not. I think that we can all relate to the feeling of being discontent. We can all relate to wanting to be enough, wanting wanting to succeed, wanting to have control, and ultimately wanting to be fulfilled. But I think that we can also relate to the reality that no matter how much we do, it just never seems to be enough. That eventually we get to a point where we say, is this all there really is? Is this it? And I think that is the crux of what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And so if that's you, I hope that this morning this book can speak truth and life and joy into your soul. And I know that a lot of the series has had some pretty heavy topics, and that's not going to change this morning. This morning we're in Ecclesiastes 9, and we're going to be talking about death, which obviously is pretty poignant in what we were just talking about. But I want to encourage us to not check out, but to continue to press in, because I think that this is an important topic for us to talk about. So, don't tune out, because I do think that by the time that we read Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we will find that life isn't without hope. That there is great joy and purpose to be had, and that our lack of control can actually allow us to trust God and see see that He has the best life in front of us. But I do, before we get there, I want to start by reminding us of something that Dan has been talking about. And throughout Ecclesiastes, we have been hearing Solomon say that all is meaningless, uh, it's temporary, it's fleeting. But this word for meaningless in Hebrew is, is the word hevel. And that is a sort of theme for Solomon. Uh, see, that meaningless is not a great, a great translation of this word. A better translation for the word hevel would be smoke or vapor. Hevel means smoke or vapor. In using this word, Solomon is showing us that life is temporary and a paradox. It can't be grasped. It's a short mist. It's difficult to see clearly what it is. It's not that everything is meaningless. It's that meaning in life is really unclear. And I want want us to keep that word hevel in mind so that it gives us some context to what we're reading today. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, we're going to be picking up in Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and the text will also be on the screen. In verse 1 it says, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Okay, not bad so far. Solomon's continuing from chapter 8, concluding that all the righteous and the wise are in God's hands, which sounds great to me. I can track with that. But then he says that no one knows whether love or hate awaits them, which really confuses me. So the wise and the righteous are in God's hands, but that doesn't guarantee that love's in front of them. He gives more insight into this in the following verses, and he's going to show us that we're all heading towards the same direction. In verses 2 through 3, it says, All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. There it is. We have arrived at the part about death. And these passages are saying, newsflash, everybody dies. 
We all have the same destiny, whether we're good or bad, successful or not, obedient, disobedient, rich or poor. Death comes to us all. And honestly, that's not very fun to read and it's not very fun to talk about. It's fatalistic and it just sounds hopeless. But what Solomon is doing is continuing this idea that everything is hevel. That life is temporary for everyone no matter what. And Solomon is showing us the simple truth that we cannot control death. I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable. I love having control, and it's frustrating to know that I don't have control over this. And if we're not careful, that thought can be really paralyzing. It can cause us to hide, to never go outside, to never take a risk, to never do anything, but that isn't a way to live at all. If we try to control death through fear and apathy, we will never live. We will just slowly breathe to death. And Solomon knows this as it's shown in the following few verses. In verses 4 through 6 it says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. And what Solomon is saying here is he's saying that if you are alive, which we all are, that you have hope. And, there's, uh, and I want to start with that because, uh, and remind us all that this was written before Jesus. And so in his mind, the only ones that have hope are the living. But we know that because of Jesus, that there is hope in death. And so I wanted to remind us of that as we're in the midst of this. But with that, his metaphor is great because I think that he's saying that even in rough circumstances, even when we are like tattered old dogs, we're better off than dead lions. Because we're alive. When we acknowledge the reality of death, we can actually celebrate the fact that we're living now. That life being temporary actually brings meaning to it. Life being temporary actually brings meaning to it. For example... The fact that the seasons change is the very thing that makes them meaningful. We know that summer here is amazing. When it's beautiful out and the birds are chirping, you can go swimming. Uh, That's all great. But what makes it beautiful is that we know it's not going to last forever. That soon the leaves will change, and soon after that, the cold and rain of winter will return. And if it was always summer and we didn't know any different, it wouldn't be meaningful. It would just be normal. But if we stayed inside all day, if we never enjoyed the summer, if we never made it count, it would just pass by. And that is what Solomon is talking about here. Don't let your life pass by. Don't waste the time that you have. Don't try to control death. The fact that you are alive is a blessing. Make your life count. The question is though, how? What should I spend my time doing? What really matters? Because my initial reaction to this is go, oh gosh, I just need to work really hard then. If I don't have time, if I need to make my life count, then I need to strive, I need to achieve, I need to go, go, go. And my, my temptation is to continue to strive in order to be enough. It's to control my meaning by taking things to my, into my own hands and it's still all about me. In verses 5 and 6, Solomon just reminded us that the dead will all be forgotten. Their names, their achievements, their love, their hate, their jealousy will all vanish. And we are being reminded that the ways that we usually attempt to find meaning and purpose apart from God are hevel. 
We attempt to do so in pursuit of wealth, careers, acceptance, comfort, and they're all endless pursuits. When we spend our whole lives in pursuit of career, it often results in stress, sleepless nights, anxiety, and by the time we're even able to enjoy it, we're too old to do so. Striving for acceptance is crippling as well. There's never enough. No matter how many people approve of us, it's never fulfilling. It's hevel. It can't be grasped. It's fleeting. And I don't want to waste my life away chasing endless pursuits. I want to make it count. I want to live the good life. And Solomon is clearly saying to do so, but not in the ways that we think. So the question still is, how are we to make our lives count? How are we to use our time? He gives gives us a glimpse of this in verses 7 through 10, where he says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I think finally Solomon is giving us some clarity. He has been utterly depressing, but he finally sheds some light for us. And what he says is enjoy your life. Make it count by enjoying today, by being grateful for all that's around you. You're alive, so live. It's a seize the day kind of carpe diem mentality. But is he saying to enjoy life simply because food is good? No, what he's actually saying is take joy because God already approves of you. Rather than living for acceptance, status, wealth, rather than striving to be enough, rather than doing all that the world says is valuable, live because God approves of you and loves you now. And I love that. Instead of living for approval, Solomon is reminding us and telling us to live from our approval. To live from from our, our approval, not for approval. That you don't need to strive anymore because you already have been approved of. You don't need to seek something you already have. And I think this, this reminds me of a song lyric from an artist that I like named Andy Mineo. And his lyric goes like this. The only way that you get acceptance is when you know you don't need it. And when we realize this, it can produce gratefulness in us. We don't need to become enough. We are enough. Life being temporary doesn't need to create anxiousness to do more. Instead, we can choose to celebrate the life that we have been given now. And over and over again, Solomon has shown that our attempts at control are vanity. That ultimately, we don't have control no matter what we do. And that can be sad for some of us. But there is such freedom and joy in recognizing that you don't have control. That we don't need control. And instead, we can live with our hands open and enjoy life as it is. So often I spend so much time trying to attain an an idea of how my life should be that I miss my life now. And I think that if we're honest, we all do the same thing. But I think that Solomon's message to us is to enjoy life as it is, not as you think it, it should be. Enjoy life as it is, not as you think it should be. Cherish your life now because there is always more, but there's not always now. 
What is will not always be. And an example of this that I've seen recently in my life is through my other job in ministry. In addition to being the children's director here, I also uh, work for a group called Ecclesia, which is the young adults ministry out of Christ the King Bellingham. Um, And in working for them, I've noticed a pattern take place among college students. Every year in Ecclesia, I see seniors come to the end of their time at Western. And then they start realizing that their time is ending soon. Their friendships, their classmates, their schooling, their time as a student are all ending soon. So in turn, they start to take advantage of every moment they have left. They start to cherish the day in front of them because they realize how much of their life they have actually come to love over the four years at school. That's because so much of what has been normal for them will soon change. And the funny thing is, is that during so much of this time, they can't wait to graduate. They can't wait to reach a goal. And so often, the days just feel mundane and routine, just going through the motions. But at the end of the time, what I constantly hear is just that all I want is another mundane, routine day. And the sad part is that there are always students who are so headstrong, attempting to reach a goal, that they never stop to cherish and enjoy the time that they had until it was all over. And I think that this is what is being talked about here in Ecclesiastes. That the ability to enjoy your everyday, often mundane, routine life is a gift from God. The ability to cherish the goodness and the beauty all around you that we just constantly overlook. We can't see what we don't look at. What in your life seems so mundane, but is actually so beautiful? For me... It's my friendships, it's my family, it's my job, it's the provisions that I'm just constantly given over and over again. But what is it for you? What in your life is worth cherishing? Because remember, what is will not always be. Don't look so far in the future that you miss the season that you're in. If you're a parent, I'm sure that you've already experienced this. We often hear in movies that in a blink of an eye, uh, kids grow up. And it's true. One day... Your kid will be, who's a toddler will be a teenager. Or the teenager will all of a sudden be going to college. Life moves fast. It's temporary. It's hevel. And so accept the hevel. Cherish what is now. Please don't overlook all that is beautiful and endless pursuits for more. Life is beautiful if we open our eyes. So let's savor our meals. Savor your relationships. Slow down surrender control and experience the beauty of trusting God with control to enjoy the life that you have now. Now, does this mean that we should just do nothing then? Should we not strive for anything? Should we set no goals? Should we not work hard at all? Of course not. In these same verses, Solomon reminds us to work hard in whatever we do, not to be apathetic, but to give all of our effort to whatever work that we do. It's not that he's saying to stop working hard, He's saying that working hard in order to be enough, in order to achieve life, in order to find meaning is pointless. You're already approved of. Instead, work hard because you have the ability to work. Your work doesn't define you, so do it joyfully. Solomon isn't saying be lazy and do nothing. He's speaking to the heart of why we work. Rather than working for fulfillment, make your work your worship. Work hard knowing that today is a gift and give praise to God by being grateful and cherishing what you get to do now. Still work hard, still set goals, but ask yourself, why do you do what you do? Is it to be enough? Is it to worship? 
Live from your approval, not for approval. Let's continue in the next few verses. In in verses 11 through 12, it says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Right on cue, Solomon continues with his theme of all things being heavy, he's being depressing, and he's being melancholy. He gives us a glimpse of light and then goes back to being all melancholy again. Sometimes I like to think of him as Eeyore from, from Winnie the Pooh, just being really depressing and pessimistic all the time. But what Solomon is saying is that fortune isn't guaranteed. That you may be strong and you might lose the battle. You may be brilliant and not wealthy. Now that doesn't mean that fortune never comes to the brilliant. It just means that it's not guaranteed. Anything can happen to any of us at any time. And what Solomon is showing us with that is that we cannot control our fortune. That life is a paradox. It's once again Hevel. It's smoke. It's hard to see why things happen. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. And vice versa. He is more clearly telling us we don't have control, which builds off what he previously said. Stop trying to gain control because you can't attain it. You have today. Fortune isn't guaranteed. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And we can let that cripple us or we can realize the gift that the present actually is. The only way to enjoy life is to recognize how precious it is now. And that is what Solomon is reinforcing here. Otherwise, all we do is just get through life. And I hear all the time, we just have to get to the weekend. We just have to get through the day. We just have to make time go by faster. We have to get to the next vacation. And I am a huge culprit of this as well. Even at work this last week, I had the mentality of I just need to finish the task. I need to get through the meeting. I need to finish the sermon. Then I'll be all home free. But if that's how we live our lives, we're never living at all. What if life isn't something to get through? What if life is something to be enjoyed? In Proverbs 27.1, a book Solomon also wrote, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And I think that that is what is being reinforced here. Now, I know you may be thinking, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Enjoy the beauty around me. Cherish the day. Don't overlook what's in front of me. Be present. But still, what should I do? How should I live? Do I just live for pleasure? Is my purpose just to enjoy things? What should I do with my talents, my ambitions, my desires? And thankfully, Solomon gives us some wisdom into that as well. In verses 13 through 16, he says, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved that city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. So Solomon, the one who's like Eeyore, who's super dramatic, who's super melancholy, the one who says all of life is vapor, is impressed here. And I think that anytime Solomon's impressed, we should clue in. So in this story, a powerful king uses an army to conquer this small city. The king is clearly attempting to attain more. 
But out of nowhere, a poor man saves the city by using his wisdom, which I think is absolutely amazing. But what's pointed out is that nobody remembers this poor man, which also confuses me. He uses his superpower of wisdom to save a city and no one remembers him. We do everything to be remembered, to be celebrated, to be noticed. And this doesn't happen for the poor man. But what I love is that the next line Solomon says is still, wisdom is greater than strength. It doesn't matter if he was remembered or not. It's not about him. It's about the fact that he saved the city using wisdom. The next line then says that the poor man's wisdom was despised and his words weren't heeded. And that's what Solomon's impressed by. A poor man who saves a city who is then forgotten and despised. And I have to tell you, by the world's standards, that isn't very impressive. The world values legacy, achievements, fame, wealth, status, and none of these apply to the poor wise man. Our wisdom says live for yourself, live for more, live for pleasure, take what you want, do what feels good because it must be. I want to be clear that when we talked about enjoying life, Solomon wasn't talking about pursuing pleasure and doing whatever you want. He was saying to be content and enjoy the goodness all around you, no matter the circumstance. Pleasure is empty and endless. It's once again, hevel. In fact, instead of pursuing pleasure, we are being shown what we actually should pursue. How we actually should live our lives. See, when all is hevel... What really matters in Ecclesiastes? And that's wisdom. But let me be clear, not our wisdom, God's wisdom. We more often spend our whole lives trying to be like the powerful king to conquer small cities. We try to get more, we try to use our time to become enough, and we try to manufacture our own meaning. But God's wisdom says to be more like the poor man who isn't trying to be remembered, but is saving small cities with wisdom. We don't make our lives count by living for ourselves. We make our lives count by actually doing things the world but may despise in service, in humility, in love. And we trust that God's wisdom is better than our own. We trust that God's wisdom is better than our own. Solomon is telling us that the one thing worth pursuing in life is God's wisdom. We all have a choice to be like the the powerful ruler who conquers cities, or we can be like the poor wise man who trusts and listens to God's ways. Chapter 9 wraps up with the last two verses in 17. It says, The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. God's wisdom is greater than power, success, and all of the other things we try to, that we attempt to find meaning in. A life with God is greater than all of the power and success we could ever have, but do we actually believe that? Not just intellectually saying, sure, yeah, that sounds good, but do our actions show that we believe that? I so often do not pursue wisdom. I either sit back in laziness, too fearful to do anything, or I use all of my efforts to just elevate myself. I talk a lot more than I listen. I strive to be seen a lot more than I pursue humility. I choose my wisdom over God's a ton. And the reason is because I don't really trust Him. Because trusting Him means that I need to acknowledge my lack of control. And I love having control. 
I really resonate with the last verse in this chapter, which says, One sinner destroys much good. This last year, I've been learning what, that when I trust my idea of wisdom, it is destructive, destructive to myself and destructive to those around me. The things that I pursue are so often empty and harmful. When I chase acceptance, I always feel lonely. When I chase wealth, I always feel poor. When I chase status, I always feel like a nobody. I'm learning firsthand that when we pursue our wisdom more than God's, it's hevel. It's always smoke. It's always vapor. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they decided to eat from the tree of knowing good and evil. They were choosing their wisdom over God's. They said that that tree looks really good. I know that God said not to eat from it, but I mean, he didn't really mean it, right? I mean, we'll still be fine. They refused to trust what God told them, and it was destructive for all of humanity. They said that that will give me status, pleasure, success, more. It looks good. It must be. And we still think this way. Let's be honest. Do you seek your wisdom over God's? In finances, and how you spend your time, and how you treat your neighbor? Do you choose his wisdom even when your wisdom seems really good, just like the tree of good and evil? Solomon is reminding us of how harmful our wisdom can be, that when we choose our way over God's, that is called sin, and it's destructive. But God wants more for me, and he wants more for you. That God God desires for you to live the best life possible. And throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is showing us that our idea of the good life is different than God's idea of the good life. That when we live for meaning and status, pleasure, wealth, success, acceptance, anything apart from God, it's empty. He wants us to see we don't have control. We can't prevent death. We can't guarantee our fortunes. There is no need to desperately seek control, that we can surrender that to him. That you don't need to spend all of your precious time on earth trying to be enough. You don't need to sit around fearing failure so much that you're paralyzed. God already approves of you. He wants you to enjoy your life. Let me say that again. He wants you to enjoy your life. He longs for you to celebrate the goodness all around you, to cherish every moment, to live in freedom, not in slavery of someday living the good life. He wants you to work hard on all you do, but not in endless pursuits, but in worship. He desires for you to trust in him, believing that he loves you, that what he has is best for you, even when it doesn't feel that way. He wants you to experience a life of trusting his wisdom, of living in partnership with him. I don't, want to, I don't want to continue to eat from the tree of good and evil anymore. I want to seek his wisdom above my own because when I do so, I can actually surrender control and enjoy the day in front of me. To put it succinctly, the gift of God is to enjoy life in obedience to him, not to control your life in endless pursuits. So as I invite the band back up, I want to ask again, bring it full circle, what do you live for? Are you living for success, peace, stability, control, your career, pleasure, wealth? Are you living joyfully and freely for God? Are you living for your own meaning and your own wisdom? Are you trusting in God's wisdom, believe that he has what's best in mind for you? Are you living in an endless idea of what your life should be? Or are you cherishing the life that you have now?
And if your answer is that you aren't living for God, please don't shame yourself. Don't put yourself down. It's never too late to choose him. It's never too late to say yes to the life that he's offering you. I am in the process of learning this too. I'm learning daily what it means to surrender control and trust that he has what's best for me. And to enjoy it. It's not too late for me. It's not too late for you. What do you live for? God desires such goodness and love for you. He desires for you to follow him because he will take care of you. If we all choose to surrender to him to follow his wisdom, I really believe that we would have the best life, most purposeful, most joy-filled life possible. What does it look like for you to take a step towards trusting in him this morning? During the next song, I encourage you to not overlook the opportunity that you have in front of you to encounter Jesus and to listen to him. Don't leave here without addressing what he might be doing in your heart. Whatever that thing is on your mind, don't leave here without addressing that. What do you need to surrender? Maybe it's an ambition, some relationship, your finances, your time. How is he calling you to trust him and his wisdom? He is with you now and he will be with you when you leave this room. So let's all continue to pursue Jesus. Let's surrender our control. Let's begin to trust him and let's enjoy the good life that he has for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for today uh, that we all often overlook, that we all often overlook the goodness and the beauty all around us. Lord, the the sun is shining. Um, We have provisions. We have so much beauty in our lives, God. And I pray that we would not overlook that anymore, but you would produce in us grateful hearts, God. I pray that whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever that thing is on our minds that we just don't want to surrender, that we're clinging tight to, that we know what that is, God, that you would help us to loosen our grip, to say, God, I don't have control. And that's okay because I trust you. I know you have what's best for me. I believe in your wisdom more than my wisdom, God. Whatever that is for anyone here, God, let that happen this morning, Lord. We love you. God, we love you, Lord. I pray that you would show up in our lives for any of us who are struggling to trust you, God. Show us that you are worthy of trusting. That when we pursue our ways, it's empty, it's, it's, it's heaven. But when we pursue you, it's fulfilling, it's meaningful, it's good, it's holy, Lord. And I pray that we would all experience the good life that you have in store for us. Uh, we love you. Amen.